Hello and welcome to the first instalment of MJ's Last Dance. My name is Axel Ockham and I'm here discussing this week's pull list for my Marvel Spider-Man titles. Just before we get started, obviously there could be a couple of spoilers involved in this, but I hope there won't be too many. These spoilers could be relating to the Spider-Man titles, could be relating to some books, other Marvel books or even the Marvel films, so just be wary of that. I think it's a really good week for us to get started. We've got Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man Issue 4, Marvel Spider-Man City at War Issue 1, Miles Morales Spider-Man 4 and Spider-Man Life Story Issue 1. Got some good, got some bad, got some Spidey. <laughs> yeah, cheap joke. Um, but yeah, let's get started. We're going to start things off with Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man as this run is main continuity. What happens here is going to make a big impact on what happens to Spider-Man in Earth 616. This will probably be the longest review, so stick with me as we have three other titles to discuss afterwards. We're four issues into this series, and honestly, I'm lost. As far as I'm aware, this series has taken over the slot that was held by Chip Zdarsky's series Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man, a series that really shook up the Spider-Man universe. Peter reveals his identity to J. Jonah Jameson, and Jonah becomes this kind of like soppy attempt at being the man in the chair for Peter Parker. We also had the reintroduction of Peter Parker's sister, which I didn't even think was canon and family business was released. I think that's a huge slot to fill. So the current arc is Mother of Exiles, and this is part four. I really hope this is the conclusion for this, but I could be wrong because I genuinely do not know where the hell writer Tom Taylor is going with any of this. Four issues of introducing a bunch of new characters that one, not going to stand the test of time. Two, they're flimsy, they're boring to read. And he's wasting great characters like the Human Torch. This really shocks me from Tom Taylor. He had a fantastic run with All New Wolverine recently. Granted, they weren't the best X-23 stories out there. But he's playing with a character that has an expiration date as Wolverine. As you know, Logan is coming back at some point. He built this strong female lead out of a character for me. Always, always nothing more than supporting cast and a plot device to shape and develop Logan's character. Not just that though. He has even more recently started what I consider to be one of the greatest modern starts to an X-Men comic with X-Men Red. He's playing with adult Jean Grey, the resurrected adult Jean Grey. Not just the limited series of the return of it, but it's her first return in an X-Men comic properly. As far as I'm aware, I could be wrong. I'm lost with the X-Men comics. Probably like most readers out there because they are impossible to navigate through. But this is the long awaited return of adult Jean Grey. She's had to wake up. It's, you know, she's dealing with the new political landscape she's resurrected in. She's off dealing with the UN. She gets framed for murder. Tom Taylor has given her a clear goal. You know what she wants. You know She knows how she's going to get there. The interaction between her and the other X-Men characters is amazing. Why is he not doing this with Spider-Man? Honestly. Why? Why is this not happening for Spider-Man? I just don't get it. So let's recap what's been going on in the first three issues. You've got Peter Parker. He's living with Randy Robertson. And Boomerang! A D-list villain that Nick Spencer decided he was going to go throw into the mix of Spider-Man's living situation for his own personal comic book social experiment. I don't know. Um, he's got some odd couple fantasy that he wants to live out 
through Spider-Man books. I, I just don't know. It's all nonsense. I'll be talking about Amazing Spider-Man and Nick Spencer next week because I have a lot to say on his run at the moment. But yeah, it's all nonsense. That's nonsense. That nonsense is being paralleled into this Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man book. You've got orange-skinned children being hidden in Peter Parker's laundry basket, the human torch babysitting them. Spider-Man off creating an international incident by going to a place hidden under New York with the very creative title of Under York. You have this whole Under York full of orange-skinned people who close themselves off to the world for the last 70 years, which is why none of us readers knew of its existence before this run. It's like Tom Taylor knows exactly what buttons to push to piss me off. He's, I'm not that egotistical that I think that Tom Taylor's sitting there in his office and he's like, I know what's going to really irritate Axel in this spot. I, you know, I am. I am. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's doing this to annoy me. Um, but anyway, so he's introduced Under York. I absolutely hate Under York. Um... There's probably a reason for it. When you introduce something of this magnitude that's been hanging out underneath New York for all of this time, um, you'll see a little bit later on in this current issue that Wilson Fisk, as the mayor knows of his existence... Oh, by the way, quick, quick. Can someone... Can Daredevil just sort this Wilson Fisk nonsense out? Wilson Fisk is mayor of New York. This has been going on since Secret Empire. That was in 2017. This has got to stop. I I hate supervillains being given this position of power as if the whole world doesn't know that they're a supervillain and we just have to accept it. This is the... Lex Luthor as president of the United States of America kind of nonsense. It makes no sense. Like... What, does everyone just forget? Yes, they might have done something. I know that Gorson Fisk became mayor because he helped out during Secret Empire and he was you know, he was looking after the ground folk. And But who who then said, oh, wait, have the key to the city? What, what? Daredevil fix this? Daredevil, please fix this. Although Daredevil is fixing it, I think. And at the moment, Gorson Fisk is in a coma in the Daredevil books. I could be wrong think i read that i don't know i'm pretty certain that's what is going on in dead of the moment so i don't even understand where this fits in with this spider-man run at the moment because there's stuff going on with wilson fisk as mayor and amazing spider-man like i said we'll get to nick spencer's run next week but anyway um right so i hate that when you introduce something like under york you're looking at this is things been hidden for 70 years and now when something like this is introduced it really bugs me because we're just expect expected to just eat it up and just be like, yep, yeah, okay, we ex- we accept this. I don't accept this, and it annoys me, especially with this particular book, how flippantly it's just introduced, and how we're just like, oh, yep, yeah. hey, welcome to New York under Yorkers. No, no. I think comic books do this quite a lot. They always try and shoehorn in this whole storyline of these places i probably would have had the exact same opinion about wakanda years and years ago um, and i do have a little bit about it with it in the mcu but that's neither here nor there let's take a look at something like 
Scott Snyder's run, uh, 2011, quarter bows. Introduction to something that's been, you know, massive power players in the Gotham universe that had never been mentioned before. But Scott Snyder did it so well. This is top shelf introduction of these sorts of things. It's so intricate. It ran deep inside every part of Batman. Um, re, re completely imagined Nightwing's origin story about what Nightwing was up to in the older uh, Flying Graysons. And was it Haley's Circus? I don't care. I don't care what Nightwing's up to, really. But yeah, the Court of Owls, they come along. They completely reshape how everything in Gotham is. But it's so woven into the history of Batman that you accept it. And also, Scott Snyder, to this is a point when you've got the new 52 has just started. So this is a brand new run for Batman with Scott Snyder taking the helm. And he didn't even reset the Batman stuff like all the rest of the new 52 has reset the entire DC universe back to the start Scott Snyder just continued with Batman as if like hey I'm just going to do what I want to do and it's so well done that you, you just accept it <sighs> I love Court of Owls <laughs> yeah I love Court of Owls but that's what I get when I read something like Under York I'm just like well no it's like you're doing this wrong like, here's here's how you should be doing this and I'll probably get shot by some Tom Taylor fanboy or just someone who's like, well, you're missing the point. This is supposed to be fun. But yeah, these things are supposed to be fun. They're a comic book. But I have to accept on some level that this is a possibility that could happen. Or at least like how the characters would accept, would accept it. For Under York, when you've had um, Fantastic Four off with the Mole Man who hangs out underneath... New York and then under York in this magic elevator ride down there. Just don't like it. Don't get it. I think they're shoehorning it in. It's like, I think the way Tom Taylor does it as well is he's shoehorning in the ugly stepsister's foot into the glass sliver. It's just, I just hate it. I really, really dislike what Tom Taylor's doing with this at the moment. I've wasted too much time and going off on tangents and talking about under York and it really winds me up and I'm getting quite agitated talking about it so i'm gonna try and get a bit of a review going for this book because we do have to talk about something else with this book that's really important at the moment but let's just stick to this review for this part of the story that's going on in a friendly neighborhood spineland um the story's bland hate it that's probably pretty clear but there are some good jokes during this run the human torch interacting with boomerang whilst he is babysitting is priceless Plus, this issue has Spider-Man talking about how it'd be embarrassing from a how it'd be embarrassing to die from a kitty scratch infection, which I think is pretty good comedic timing with the Captain Marvel and Nick Fury interaction with a cat that's just happened. I don't know if this was intentional. I would like to think it was, but don't quote me on it. And my opinion of Tom Taylor is it probably wasn't intentional. Um, I can see what his intention is with a lot of this run. It's a callback to the glory days. Well, for some of us, we consider it glory days. I consider it glory days where there was a ton of Spider-Man titles and there was this whole soap opera aspect to it. A lot of characters in Peter Life getting their own story arcs. We would see Robbie Robs Robertson, Home Life, etc. There are a lot of interactions with Peter Parker and his neighbours in this current run, which is why he's even under in under york in the first place because the orange children um but yeah it's good to see the street level spider-man again after the whole parker Industries saga but it's been done before and it's been done better
it's fun but it's cheap a lot of people would be interested in this i guess um first time readers would be probably quite interested in this but it's nothing i haven't read before and i have i've it's been done 10 times better even even the clone saga had this aspect of like you know seeing what's going on in the people's lives around spider-man when peter parker's arrested and how like uh, felicia hardy deals with that and she goes off to the prison to go visit but it's not actually peter there it's ben riley um this has been done a million times and a million times better so let's talk about this important thing that's going on with the tom taylor run it's this big impact stuff time um there is a side story it's definitely tugged at some at Tug some absolute heartstrings for a lot of readers. Aunt May, the woman who has survived heart attacks, abductions, being buried alive, shot, seems to have cancer. She's been trying to get hold of Peter to tell him the news. It's pretty heartbreaking. And it's something that could happen to our loved ones and it's a human sickness. It's not something a hero can save someone from. Well, a hero likes Spider-Man anyway. The whole thing does bring a tear to my eye as I read it. At the same point, I just played the PS4 game and Aunt May died. I've also read when Aunt May died the first time. Fake Aunt May, but still. And then when she was shot during Civil War, I personally think it's a bit cheap. We had to suffer brand new day to save her life. Peter and Mary gave up. Mary Jane gave up their whole marriage and reshaped the entire Marvel Universe to save this woman's life. For long-time readers, this surely can't be that difficult to deal with. I hate that it's cancer. I really do. Um, yeah, like it, it's it's cancer. It's it's horrible. But at the same point, I really do think that it's time for Aunt May to go anyway. I might be alone on that opinion. I probably am. Um, I'd like to to see her not go through cancer. No one wants to be reading. That book is going to be, it is going to be, I mean, if they continue with this run and she does end up passing, it's going to be pretty heartbreaking. We'll, we'll see what Tom Taylor does with this. It hasn't seeped over into Amazing Spider-Man yet. So this could be completely taken away from Tom Taylor and it could go to Nick Spencer. I don't know. But I don't really want to spend too much time because I sound kind of like I'm being a little bit like flipping on the fact it's cancer. That's not the case. I hate that it's cancer. Um, I really do. But come on. I may should have died years ago. She should have died when she got shot. She should have stayed dead. She shouldn't have been. She shouldn't have been brought back to life. Oh, she didn't actually die. She was replaced by a fake Aunt May, the first time round. But all of this stuff, like she should have just been ended at those points. There we go. That's my opinions on Tom Taylor's run of Randy Neighborhood Spider-Man so far. I do have big expectations for this writer, so hopefully he delivers something here. And I am looking forward to that Aunt May and Peter conversation that is coming next issue. Next up, we've got Marvel Spider-Man City of War issue on. I didn't even want to read this book, if I'm totally honest. First thing I noticed... And I should have pieced this together before sitting down to read it. This is based on the PS4 game. The cover art is Peter donned in the PS4 costume. Going to be totally honest. I wanted to put this book down at that very moment. 
I was 100% convinced that this was just a cash grab. Plus, the cover art by Clayton Crane was not grabbing me at all. The artwork itself is amazing. But Spider-Man on the cover looks like a bodybuilder. Not a streamlined bullet on a webline. Sure, Peter does need upper body strength to swing around the city, but those legs were over the top. Plus, <sighs> reading, reading the book, Bandini has not drawn Spider-Man in a similar manner, which actually really bugs me. It's just like, they're like two different people from cover to story. Uh, anyway, this is the first book in the new label Gameiverse. I don't know much about the Gameiverse at this point other than what Mark Baso at the end of this book written about it. I'll get to that bit later because it kind of wound me up quite a bit. Um, the story... No, let's talk about the artwork throughout the story first. I actually really love the artwork of Bandini inside of this. It's just the right amount of busy. The webbing artwork is decent. I like, I really like that Vandini veered away from making Peter look how he did in the game. Hated the aesthetics of Peter Parker in the PS4 game. I when when the scenes of Peter Parker were on the screen, it really took me away from the game. I just wanted him to be in his Spider-Man outfit the whole time, which is something I didn't really want in previous games. I wanted to spend time with Peter Parker taking photos, etc. Um, the story. The story is 100% a cash grab. There's nothing other than let's put some money in some pockets for this one. It's the storyline of the game with a bit more meat on the supporting cast. I, I don't need to read that. Um, it's like Marvel's reaching out to the Xbox owners who couldn't play the game or like, hey, you can still pay us some money and know what all your pals are talking about. You don't need to buy a PS4, just buy our book. And with that cash grab incentive, incentive, whatever, what really upsets me with this is that it claims it's the first book in a brand new universe. This is why I was talking about how Beso has said this at the end of the book. It's not entirely true. If you read last year's Spider-Geddon, we actually got to see this version of Spider-Man taking part in the battle against the Inheritors. And I thought the supporting issue of Doc Ock recruiting PS4 Spider-Man was amazing. You have PS4 Spider-Man fresh off the loss of his mentor, and here is his betrayer from another universe recruiting him. That got me. It got me a lot. If you haven't read Spider-Geddon but have played the game, go read it. It's a much better story, and it has a much more fresh... It feels much more fresh than this current retelling. And also, PS4 Spider-Man gets to meet Spider-Cop. If you haven't played the PS4 game, it probably means nothing to you, but Spider-Cop's a big part of the jokes in this PS4 game. Another issue that I have is it jumps far too quickly through the story. For something that claims to be putting meat onto the bones of certain characters and scenes, it just seems to breeze right on through them. Dennis Hallam needs to pull out all the stops next issue to keep this in my pool list. Well, it's going to be in my pool list because I'm going to be talking about it when it comes out. But I just don't. I don't want to read it. I have no interest in reading it. There is a promise of a... I read a review of this, actually. There is a promise that it's going to be the next issue. There's going to be a villain fight that isn't in the game. Could be a lie. 
I've read a lot of previews and reviews and stuff that have just been completely wrong in regards to the upcoming Spider-Man stuff. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, still shame on me. Got that saying completely wrong, but it's always my fault and everything. So there we go. That is Marvel Spider-Man PS4 cash grab for you. So our next comic I was really looking forward to. You've got Miles Morales Spider-Man. Issue number four of what has already been, for me, a really solid run. Saladin Ahmed did not disappoint this issue. I laughed. It got me searching Google and was very reminiscent of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you want my money, like, take note of this, Tom Taylor. If you want my money, you make something that's, I can, it reminds me of, you know, the 80s, 90s movies. I literally say this and I just realised that I hated Captain Marvel, which was supposed to be like a 90s movie but anyway I, I hated captain marvel but anyway 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 it's miles and his friends running around town skipping a school to go to a museum exhibition on biggie smalls um jay-z i don't really know much about rap i think those were two names i saw there um whilst their teacher is trying to catch them it's coming off the back of um a free issue run or free issue arc, sorry, which, to be honest, actually got me really fanboying about that. It had Captain America, Miles, and the Rhino teaming up. You've got the Rhino making fun of Miles for being such a young kind of guy, and then the Rhino also being very hesitant about working with Captain America because he's always the original super soldier, So, and he's the bastion of everything that's right, and he's a boy scout. So that was really good. The plot wasn't fantastic, but I think with the fact that they just had a new film come out, they wanted to kind of aim at this younger audience, which I think is really good anyway, then they should be doing that because Miles is a younger character. They should be aiming for this younger audience with this. We'll get to why that annoyed me a little bit in a bit, but for the most part, I think this book's going in the right direction. What I really love about the issue is it it just reminds you that miles he's, he's still a kid at school he has all this power and responsibility but he wants to have fun kiss girls and do what teenage boys want to do rather than always be saving the world or stuck in a classroom with that being said he's very different to peter parker as a teenager peter parker was a nerd now obviously when miles was first introduced he was introduced into the Ultimate Universe and Peter Parker in that universe, he wasn't so he was still a nerd. He wasn't as nerdy as the original Peter Parker in Six One Six Earth. But they are very different characters, and I think what's been quite good is you have Bendis started off the series, but now Ahmed kind of knows more how someone that sort of age, that um, the sort of culture that Miles is going to be interested in. So he's writing this book a lot better than what Bendis could. Have done. I think it's good to see Bendis be taken what Ben has put into it be taken away at this point because the Miles that we saw on the screen and into Spider-Verse, very cool kind of guy. And I don't think Bendis can write that character for Miles very well. And Ahmed's given him his own personality, which I think is very good. It's it's just a fun book, let's be honest. Um, it's totally a fun book. I know I gave so much stick for Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man um, saying how it attempt, there was a potential attempt to be fun by just don't think that book was fun at all but this book is fun i 
didn't need much more from it. It introduced a new villain. You got Frost Pharaoh. This is why I was Googling. I wasn't sure if this was a new villain. Um, but I really liked him. I really liked the concept of Frost Pharaoh, actually. Um, he was only there briefly, but I loved it. And Miles battling him and disappearing from his friends to do so hit a note with me. I loved the balancing of his secret identity. He's doing it whilst in a boarding school. It wasn't like Peter where he could go home and only had to hide it from Aunt May. Miles has to hide all this stuff from an entire boarding school of people. I think there's one of the... One of his roommates doesn't even know he's Spider-Man. One knows, one doesn't. Anyway, that's irrelevant. I'm excited to see where this run goes. And, and as next week, to be fair, we've got a storyline featuring Tombstone. He does not get enough attention at all anymore. He was in the PS4 game, but he just doesn't get enough attention in the comic books. When I was younger, I watched the animated series, which is what really got me into Spider-Man. I'm, I remember thinking, like, man, I, I want to be Spider-Man, but Tombstone is cool as hell. He was after Robbie Robertson. They were, like, eh. He was trying to kidnap Robbie Robertson. It was great. It was fantastic. There is a downside to this issue. There is a particular page of art, which I said about, I kind of hinted on earlier. It's a little bit too cartoony for me, but, like I said, it's aiming for a younger audience, so it's probably good for them, but... It's like a talented child drew the Indiana Jones travelling cutscene. I didn't like it. There was enough space to tell a compelling journey over a few panels. Um, so I will forgive... Um, who wrote this? I uh, drew this even. Was it Xavier Garrens, I think, did the art for this? I haven't got the issue to hand to actually even check on that. Please, if I'm wrong, don't crucify me. But yeah. There's a lot to say about miles but it's issue four and it's doing everything right so i don't want to go too heavily into it i don't really want to take it out to the chopping block like i did with friendly neighborhood spider-man um let's see where it goes before we really go too in depth with that one and i guess that leaves us with what does it leave us with oh spider-man life story the absolute the one for this week. The buying... If you have to buy any magazine this week, it's that one. And let's get into why. So, yeah. Spider-Man Life Story. This is Chips at Us Kid's best. That's a guy who knows Spider-Man. I was saying earlier about his run on Spectacular Spider-Man recently. It's like he lives and breathes the character. Honestly, I'm, I'm a bit of a Chips at Us fanboy. Co-creator of Sex Criminals, one of the best new comics of the past ten years. He didn't write it; he just helped co-create it. He drew it. He was, you know, he was bouncing off ideas of the actual writer. But it's fantastic. His run on Star Lord was downright outstanding. He took this hugely popular interstellar cowboy and grounded him on Earth, which is not what all the new Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt fans wanted at this point in time, with the MCU being the way it is. But to see Zazarski force. Peter Quill to accept his place as a human and get an actual job. That's unreal. Oh, and he got it in the... Uh, he got the the pinnacle job. I Personally, I think this is the job for... This is the job I want if I had to be a normal human in the Marvel Universe, which is working at the bar with no name, which is where all the supervillains of New York hang out. They go drink. And there's Peter Quill, Star-Lord, serving them beer. That's fantastic. Um, He even did Howard the Duck, one of the most... I I think he's the most pointless Marvel character. He's been Easter egg in a lot of the 
Guardians of the Galaxy films. Um, never really found Albert the Duck funny. Found it weird. He had a girlfriend who was not a duck, and they definitely, you know, slept together because there are panels that show it, which makes no sense to me because I pretty certain that duck has a spiral anyway um yeah didn't don't like how the duck but i really liked zadarsky's run on it well as much as i was going to like a run on the on a how the duck comic anyway the comic in question let's actually discuss that for a bit uh it's a mini series six issues i think this is the first I have heard that it's part of the Marvel 80th anniversary celebration. It's Spider-Man decade by decade, each issue showing a new decade and how it shapes the wall crawler. Um, I've read a few previews, reviews, stating that this Spider-Man would age in real time, which makes sense for this current first one, with Spider-Man saying he got bit by the spider in 1962. No, he doesn't say that. It's the book set in 1966, but the... He says four years ago I got bitten by the spider, which makes sense anyway because Amazing Spider-Man started in 1962. So yeah, it's going in real time. He's aging in real time, and I've heard that he will age for the next one as well. So if he's whatever age in 66, he'll be ten more ten years older in the next issue, which is going to be set in the 70s. Don't know if this is true or not. Haven't actually seen anything official stating it. Just reviews and previews saying it. So I don't know. But I, I really don't want to give too much away for this title anyway because I think, like I said, if you're going to buy one comic this week, it has to be Spider-Man Life Story. you got Peter Parker against the backdrop of the Vietnam War. He's contemplating his age-old motto, power and responsibility, whether or not this means he should go to war with all of the power that he can give to the war effort should he be hiding at home behind being a student um this is what really gets me with chip zaski understanding the character of peter parker peter parker if you read the 60s stuff he is pretty arrogant and he's pretty pretty mean to some of the people around him and that's what you get with this issue um you get to see the jerk peter parker that a lot of writers have actually forgotten now, because obviously they wanted him to be like the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man Tom Taylor. But in the 60s, he was a bit of a jerk. He was very arrogant. He was very sure of himself. Yes, he was always doing this inner monologue thing about whatever, but that's not what he actually showed when he would actually speak to all these other characters. Um, and that's what you get with that. You get Peter's off to Flash Thompson's leaving do for Vietnam. And instantly he's snapping at, Flash Thompson, and he has to get pulled away by Gwen Stacy. Yes, Gwen Stacy is in this. Very happy about that. But anyway, Peter can't get over, over himself enough to see that Flash is developing as a character. Um, maybe he can, and as Flash says in this episode issue, maybe Peter is jealous. Could be that. That's where things start to take a bit of a different turn with this comic. There is an interaction between Peter and Norman Osborne that show this isn't just a retelling, this is an alternative timeline. And there's very little to this, it's just, hey, I'm Norman Osborne in one scene, and then the next scene, I know your secret. Oh, that's 
probably far more of a spoiler I really wanted to give anyone, but that's where we're going to stick at that one. The interaction between Peter and Norman is pretty awesome. Um, Zadarsky seems to really understand Peter's internal struggle with the Osborne interaction, which is which is why I think that this guy knows Spider-Man and Peter Parker so well. He doesn't just know Peter Parker, he doesn't just know Spider-Man, he knows the the two together, and you have to understand they are actually two different characters. You've got Hero, Spider-Man, who does what he does, and then you've got Peter Parker, who can't get his life together, can't sort his life out, and Chip Zazarski really shows that. There is a side Captain America story that I'm not going to spoil at all, but then you've also got, there's a big end for this comic, a conversation between Gwen Stacy and Peter. I don't know how it's going to play out, and especially as if it's what I've heard, it's going to be another decade, and it's going to jump a decade, and Peter Parker's going to age in real time in that decade. How that conversation is going to be, because obviously if you're jumping a decade, that you're not even going to get to see that conversation. It is a concept that a few writers have toyed with in the past, so it'd be really good to see how Zadarsky handles it. Then you've got, I think... Chip Zazarski actually does the artwork on the cover for this. I once again do not have the comic book to hand to actually check and verify that. But the artwork on the cover is amazing. And the whole issue itself is beautiful. You've got Mark Bagley who is... He's kind of like Spider-Man. In my opinion, he's Spider-Man royalty for the artwork. Um, he's been doing this for years. He's one of the top Spider-Man artists of all time. It gives you some serious nostalgia. It looks like it could have been drawn back in the 60s, but it's still got a very modern kind of twang to it. I don't know what word to use, really use there, but I've, I always find it's really probably quite easy to do a couple of scenes as a flashback for the sort of the 60s, 70s artwork, but for Mark Bagley to do the entire issue like that is really outstanding, especially with all the new artwork that's going on and how the artwork that's been in quite a few sort of comic books recently, you've got, they're trying to be very artistic and different, which I don't really like, and this one just is a callback to the old Spider-Man. I don't know if that's going to be the same for the next issue at all, or if it's going to be someone who, if it's going to be done in the style of the 70s stuff, but this is a book that I'm excited for the next issue. I, I want this book in my life, to be honest, I want Chip Zdarsky to be writing all the Spider-Man books. And I think he would be fantastic if he was to be involved in the writing of the Spider-Man films. Uh, I could go on and on about that for quite some time. I probably shouldn't. Um, Chip Zdarsky, take my money. Take my money, take my life. Take I'll, I'll marry the guy. I honestly would. He, he just does everything right for me in this... Um, I saw a picture of him. He's quite an attractive guy anyway. Uh, he is 40, so he's probably not looking for someone as young as me. But there we go. Um, like I said, can't say enough good stuff about this book. I'm pumped for the following issues. So yeah, there we go. That is um, MJ's Last Dance, finished for the first instalment. Leave a comment on whatever platform this eventually gets published on. I don't know what it's going to be at the moment. Yes, leave a comment, ask some questions if you want to ask some questions. I will be doing this again next week. I think we've got four more titles next week. It's a very busy fortnight for the Spider-Man titles. 
I know we've got Amazing Spider-Man next week, which is going to be... It's probably going to be a very long conversation about the Nick Spencer run. It'll be my first opportunity to really talk to or, you know, vocalise how I feel about it. It's not good. Just a little warm you up for it. Hope you enjoyed today. Go get out there, read some more comics. We'll be... Hopefully we'll get to delve a little bit more into the history next time. Hopefully we will get a week where I, I actually enjoy all the comic books. Very unlikely with Tom Taylor and uh, Nick Spencer out there. But anyway, see you next time. Thank you. Bye.